Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. My name is Tracy Ariel and I am Unapologetically Canadian. Today we are speaking with Cornell Schreiber, with my favorite podcaster. He write, he does Build Wealth Canada, and uh, I I just heard the podcast where you announced that you're also taking over the Financial Summit. How That's is right. That going? Hey, Cornell, more... thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah, nice to be here. Thanks. Um, so, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing and why? Because a lot of people don't, a lot of my listeners don't necessarily know you because they tend to be creators. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I run the Build Wealth Canada podcast. It's one of the top Canadian in, uh, investing podcasts uh, in Canada. Uh, usually, it's like at the top of the ranks, like number one or like top, you know, three or something like that. So um, in it, I interview different experts. Uh, in some, a lot of them Canadian, but talking about you know different Canadian topics when it comes to investing. And so it's all about building financial independence and how to get there the most efficiently just so that we can pay the lowest fees on our investments and pay the least amount of taxes possible. So there's a lot of great personal finance and investing podcasts out there, but there isn't that many that are specifically focused for Canadians, right? And so when you, I remember having this pain of trying to learn all this stuff back in the day and it was people are talking about 401ks and all these US terms and then you're wondering, okay, well, how does that apply? Does that apply to Canada? I don't know, you know, and then so it becomes this challenge. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm Canadian. I, uh, you know, I, I live here, and I, I want things to be specific to Canada. And so that's what I did. So I interview the different experts on basically the best practices there, uh, and it's been it's been great. Yeah, it's it's been uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. Well, the thing that I love about it is that you make it sound so. Um friendly and comfortable it's almost like you're the uh, wealthy barber of uh, podcasts for finance people because oh uh, thank you that's such a compliment i appreciate that <laughs> it is it's like it, it's just fun to listen to it and it, it makes it seem like it's possible for anyone to actually be financially independent and i guess you that's have first hand knowledge about that too because you also are inspiring because you've actually already well retired you've turned um, from a financial guy in in a corporate job to uh, what I th- I like to think of as a creative entrepreneur, uh, can you talk a little bit about that transition? Because you're pretty young too, aren't you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm 35 right now. Uh, we hit our financial independence number when I was 32, and then we had our mortgage fully paid off when I was 29. So those were kind of the big, I'd say, milestones that makes us a bit. And by us, I mean my wife and I it makes us a bit. Uh, unique in the space. Yeah, so it was quite an interesting journey. I mean, we started off typical, you know, office workers, my wife and I, and then we started saving 50% of our uh, take-home pay, essentially. That was sort of the one big key thing that we did. But we graduated a bit before the financial crisis of 2008. So when that happened, it was scary because I didn't know how the markets work. I didn't know about index investing. I didn't know about how cyclical markets can be. And so all 
I was was this new guy starting his career after graduating, and I just see my bosses freaking out because they're losing literally you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in their investments, right? Because they've been investing for so long, and so then I thought, okay, this stock market thing seems really really risky, so I'm just gonna keep saving 50% of our of our pay, but let's just pump that into the mortgage. Let's pay off our mortgage as soon as possible. And I'll, that just seemed a lot safer at the time. Now, I wouldn't do that again if I was to go back knowing what I know now. I mean, the, the markets tend to outperform what the mortgage rate is uh, by far. So I definitely would have done things a lot differently knowing what I know now. But but back then, I mean, that was, you know, I was just learning as, as we go. And, and so that's what we did. And so we ended up paying off our mortgage in a bit under six years. Uh, so this was just still doing the whole, you know, kind of corporate thing. And then I thought, okay, well, mortgage is paid off. I don't want to just blow the money. I, I learned quickly that, well, it's great that we don't have this debt anymore. We now, we don't have anything for our retirement. We don't have anything saved for our retirement because everything's been going to pay off the mortgage. And so that's how the podcast started is I thought, okay, there's, I quickly learned there's a lot of conflict of interest in the industry here in Canada. A lot of, you know, advisors who are sort of disguised, like they're going to help you, but really they're just there to sell you product, right? So a lot of, uh, People yeah. that come off as advisors, um, you know, to the untrained eye. But once you learn about how they're compensated and all that, and the lack of regulation in place, you learn that they're actually professional salespeople. But you know, when you're a salesperson and you call yourself a consultant or an advisor, it doesn't sound like a salesperson any, anymore, right? So, uh, yeah. so I was like, okay, this is not. This, I, I, you know, going to be investing a lot of money here. I don't want to be, uh, you know, ripped off. I don't want to be paying these fees, and so I started the podcast and started interviewing basically the best experts I could find in Canada about how to do it properly, how to do it efficiently, how to pay the lowest fees, what's the right way to, what's the optimum way to invest, or, you know, what are the options available and what are the common mistakes? And so I interviewed all these experts, followed their advice. And then when I was 32, we basically hit our financial independence number. And so we quit our jobs, uh, both my wife and I, she's a full-time stay-at-home mom now. And then for me, I was sort of, it was different for me because I was afraid a little bit. I was didn't feel ready to go from two full-time salaries to zero full-time salaries, even though the, you know, all the numbers and all the financial models I ran and had run said we could do it. It was a bit nerve wracking as, as you can imagine, right. To go from two to zero. Uh, and so, and so, uh, so I thought even two to one can be a challenge for families. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. So I thought, okay, what if we did this thing gradually? So I actually got lucky. I got this really, really good opportunity, uh, to work uh, sort of in this part-time from home, you know, doing the kind of work that I always wanted to do. And so I thought, okay, let's, let's, let's do this for now as a kind of a transition step. So I went from full-time to part-time and then after doing that for about two years, I said, okay, I'm, I actually feel comfortable now transitioning to fully full-time retirement, I mean. <laughs> so I retired <laughs> fully, like 100%. And then, and then that lasted for about six months and I just started going crazy because it was just, you know, I'm, I'm only in my 30s, right? And so you start kind of getting antsy about, you know, you want to do something more than just relax all day and, you know, you, you want to do something productive, something creative, you want to learn something, you want some intellectual stimulation. And so that's when I decided, okay, you know what, let's, let's go. I definitely don't want to work full time in an office anymore. That, those days are over, but uh, definitely not going back to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, you know what, let's, um, what if I just worked, went back to just doing part-time work, but for myself this time. So if I don't want to work a certain day, I can just, I don't have to work. I can just pick and choose when I work and what I work on, you know, so it sort of becomes this thing where you work on passion projects and then because you're financially independent, 
money is no longer the primary concern. Like it's not even in the top three. So it's like, yeah, it's nice if it makes money because, you know, it's always nice to have more. But at the same time, it, it, it becomes about other things like, does this make me learn? Is it intellectually stimulating? Is it fun? Is it, does it get, give some sort of a societal benefit, right? Where others can benefit. Like in my case, it's enhancing financial literacy in Canada. That's like a big goal. So, um, so that's kind of what I, what I do now is I, I do the podcast, um, part-time and then i also took over the canadian financial summit so i do that part-time as well now the financial summit when does that happen can you talk a little bit about that because i think that's i've been promoting that for several years now i love that one too for the same reason that i love your podcast because i find i mean i wish i knew this when i was younger i'm now 56 so it's long after you know (laughs) you've already retired long i didn't even buy my first house until i was 30 (laughs) okay yeah that's well that's more typical right yeah yeah, yeah, I'm your typical. Uh, I'm I'm some of those people that they're going to be worried about when we retire. We all retire at once, and there's no pensions left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's amazing, and I just wish that I'd known all of the stuff that you talk about in in both of these venues. So, can you talk a little bit about what you do in the financial summit when it's happening and how people can get involved? Sure. Yeah, I mean, with my generation and and, and your generation too, right? There was no course that we took in high school or university that taught us all these things or taught taught us financial literacy. So I remember learning a lot of useless things, not to say everything I learned in school was useless, but there was definitely quite a bit of things that wasn't that, you know, that I, I have yet to apply to this day. And yet financial literacy, which can have a monumental impact on our lives, uh, wasn't taught, right? And so the financial summit helps with that. And so does, you know, the podcast as well. Um, just, yeah, just teaching us the things we should have learned in school, but never got to, you know. Um, yeah, so the the Canadian Financial Summit, it runs every fall. So it was in uh, September last year. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's basically um, where it's very similar to the podcast in the sense that I interview different experts in different fields. And it's specifically for Canadians as well. So the content is highly relevant uh, to Canadians. Uh, and yeah, and it covers a whole range of topics, whether it's investing or some people maybe aren't investing it, maybe they're in debt. So how can they get at it quicker, you know, the different sort of strategies just, just to enhance our education so that one, if you are in debt, that you can get out of debt. And two, if you're already saving some money every month, then so you know how to invest it and invest it efficiently and aren't, you know, don't fall into many of these traps uh, because we do have some of the highest fees in the world here in Canada when it comes to the financial services industry. And so, you know, it is something that... Yeah, I paid many of them, actually. Pardon me? <laughs> I paid those for years and years. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, but they're so well hidden, right? And it's 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 difficult to find and learn about when you don't know what what to look for, right? Uh, unfortunately, now we live in. Yeah, a- so like, sorry, I'm 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 just interrupting. Oh no, please go ahead. That, but- I was just going to say that um, I used to work for the Ontario government. And so when I moved to Montreal uh, to become a full-time writer, I did something like what you did in terms of uh, making your dreams come true. Uh, that I had this sort of ne- a necessary pension fund that I had to put in a locked in something. And so I went for one of those things that you actually rail against quite frequently. <laughs> And it, and, it, and I realized after, I don't know, it was four or five years and I didn't seem to be earning anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that happens and it's terrifying. Yeah. Like, how can I be learning this much percentage a year and, and, and my my final amount doesn't look any higher? Oh, for sure. And I'm I mean, not a master, but I 
smart enough to notice that. Yeah, yeah well, these stories are, are terrifying. I had I was helping a family member with this recently, where same story. They've been putting money into this for years. You know, last year we had a really good year in the markets, right? I mean, a lot of, up like twenty over twenty percent. A lot of them, right? A lot of the indexes. So this amazing mm-hmm. year. And she comes, shows and comes to me with a statement and is like, why did I earn 1%? I mean, that doesn't even cover inflation. What's going on, right? And so and then, then you get into that whole conversation. Well, well, first of all, you know, so, you know, you're in these, you know, um, you're in basically almost all fixed income. So interest rates are at historic close and you have most of your money in that. Plus they're taking off fees, which are basically higher than the interest rate that you're getting on this fixed income. And so, yeah, you know, or, or close to it, right? And so you get into these situations. Yeah, it's very unfortunate where people are putting in the money in for years. You know, you didn't learn this in school. Um, you know, a lot of parents don't haven't educated their kids on this either because they themselves a lot of times don't know. And then, yeah, you get into these situations and you're wondering, why can't I, I retire yet? Um, but fortunately, now we live in an age where it is possible, you know, to do these conferences and do these podcasts where there isn't this sort of gatekeeper, you know, holding, you know, restricting the media usage and things like that, right? And they're sponsored by the companies that are charging these high fees. And so the message never gets out, right? And uh, so, so fortunately now, you know, it's much easier to, ha- to have your voice heard if there is something that that is pretty uh, sketchy, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know um, the... Uh you know, there's constantly hearings at the government level about these things, but then most of the people who have time to participate are the people who are actually charging the fees. Right, right. (laughs) And the inflation is not as high as I I would like it either. And they make so much money off it too, right? I mean, they can go, they can all team up together and do some pretty intensive lobbying, right, when it comes to these things. Uh, So it is is pretty hard to, you know, to, to compete with, right? But fortunately with internet now, things, you know, it is possible to learn about it if you want to learn about it, right? Like the information's there out there now and it's free. Like the podcast is free, the Canadian Financial Summit's free. So the information is there. You just have to want to learn about it, right? And uh, I often tell people it's it's the best, highest return on investment in terms of your time. Because if you learn about these right? Because none of us, probably none of us are going to be making thousands of dollars an hour, you know, over in, in our careers. But, for, you know, like thousands of dollars for an hour of work, let's say, you know, but if you think about, well, how long does it take to actually learn all this stuff? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, you could learn it. You could learn all the fundamentals, I would argue in less than a week. Right. So in the hours you dedicate to that, it can literally save you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your investment lifetime because these fees can actually accumulate to be that much. And I've, I didn't believe those high numbers at first. I thought over a hundred thousand dollars in fees over your lifetime. That sounds like way too much. That's clearly an exaggeration. And so I actually did the math myself on a spreadsheet and I was like, oh dear, it actually is true. This is, this is, you know, bananas, right? So (laughs) (laughs) because of like, you know, the the compounded growth. (laughs) This is why your, your podcast is so fun because you're such a nerd about numbers. (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I literally until like before, I mean, when I moved to Montreal, there was no real uh, internet. I mean, I did my first web page using HTML, using notepad and code. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But and so my only real uh, were, were books and, and the wealthy barber was the one that that I found fun enough to read to read every year. But it didn't even go into these kinds of investments at that time. Uh, mutual funds were the things that you bought. That's right. So that's right. Yeah, like you know, ETFs so they- didn't exist, right? Uh, or at least they weren't. They definitely weren't available the way they are now. And so, I, like in it, he actually 
promotes mutual funds, right? Because I mean, that was like your best option. It was either mutual funds or real estate investing, right? Those were the two avenues I remember having. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Like you couldn't do much with anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, well, you're better off paying these fees than not investing at all. And like, you know, blowing all your money. So, okay, fine. Pay these fees. At least you'll get something. Right. Um, but I noticed in the second book, he definitely addressed ETFs and index investing and doing things that way. Uh, and now you've got the asset yeah, allocation ETFs, which make things so even easier. What? The first one. What's that? Sorry. The second book is so boring to read in comparison to the first one. <laughs> yeah, the first one was very, very entertaining for sure. But I, I, I find the second one is required reading if you read the first one because it does update a lot of these things, primarily the whole mutual fund versus ETF thing. I mean, that, that, that you, any investor really needs to know about that. Well, you live near him. Maybe you can convince him to do a, a new version of the first one. I think he's embarrassed because it's such a it's a, such a flaky sort of book, but it's so much fun to read. It was it was really impressive how he did that. I mean, to to turn anybody that can turn personal finance into like a fun, enjoyable thing for a non money nerd is is very impressive. <laughs> yeah, I really I can't do that. So it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't do that either, and I'm a writer, so. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, no. So in terms of uh, the other thing, uh, we should actually tell people how the summit works because um, some people aren't used to that kind of a format. Um, but the way I understand it, and you can correct me, is you you basically you sign up for the summit and then you get to listen to it free for uh, the period that it's on. Usually, it's a week or two. I don't remember the exact timing. And then, but you can buy. Um, uh, subscription and then listen to them over time if you want. Is that how you're still going to be working it in the coming year? Exactly. Yeah. So every it's free for everybody to sign up. So in in theory, you could watch all the talks for free and you know not just yeah you could totally do that. The 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 reality is though is that you know not everybody has the time to do that all at once. And so yeah, so people do purchase the the all access pass, which lets them yeah, essentially, like you said, s- stream the videos uh, for forever as long as they want, and then they can watch them at their pace whenever they want down the road. Um, so you know, so if you do want that option, you have it. But if you're short on money and you still want to learn, then you can totally learn everything for free. You just have to set a fair bit of time aside to actually consume all the content because there is there is a lot of it. Yeah. Or if you're someone like me and you just want to pick and choose, then you can usually um, get away with the all without the all access pass unless your schedule happens to mess up with one that you really want to hear. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's a great service. So it's great. I mean, it, it helps with financial literacy. And if someone is you know struggling with money, let's say, then you know, to ask them to to pay more money <laughs> to, to you know get rid of the money troubles can be a hard thing to do, right? Because they're already short on money. So this way, for those that don't have the money, they can still learn everything for free. And the one that do people that do have it and who want to actually support, you know, what we're doing, uh, you know, they can buy the all access pass and then they, things become really convenient on their end and they get a bunch of bonuses too, things like that. Uh, and then everything is basically on demand, like, you know, the way Netflix says they get to access it whenever they want uh, over whatever device they want. What are you using for that too? Anyway, what um, do you have a service? Do you do you use a uh, Libsyn or what? What do you use for the for the summit? Oh, like for the hosting. Listening are creative entrepreneurs, so they have sure. to learn this technology. The way so so I just took over for it uh, now. So this coming year will be the first year that I'm that I'm running it. Uh, and right now they just they would pre-record the videos, and then they would launch them based on the schedule that they set out, and they would just host them with I believe it was. Uh, Wistia 
uh, and then it's just hosted on the site. So that that's pretty much it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so nothing, nothing fancy. No fancy, you know, course tool. No fancy uh, summit tool. I know those those exist out there as well. It's basically just everything is free on the site. It's just ho- hosted through Wistia, I believe it was. Anybody can watch it. And then once that's done, then people can buy the pass. And then there, I believe you use wish uh, list member is what I believe they were using. And then there you can actually have like username and login and you log in and you can now access all the videos if you bought the all access pass. Oh, okay. Because I do um, a couple of courses and I use Teachable. So okay. I've been okay. finding that really useful. Okay. And I know there's a bunch, there's Rizuko and there's also um, Thinkific. I mean, there's a lot of Teachable type platforms nowadays. There's so many choices. Uh, there really are. Really yeah. wonderful live. <laughs> <laughs> now, now do, does Teachable take a cut of every sale or how does it work? How does their revenue model work? Uh, no, you pay an annual subscription. And if you pay for the pro platform, then you then they don't take any cut. But if you don't, oh, okay. if, if you pay for that, then you, they, they do take a cut. Oh, okay. So they have like a free with them taking a cut and then they have the the pro version where you just do it yourself that's great that's really really convenient that's wonderful huh. yeah yeah I, I actually i've been really loving them They're, it's a it's a very good platform i've heard good things about scientific too and think thinkific is actually canadian and teachable isn't so it's like okay. i still feel guilty <laughs> yeah i understand yeah <laughs> you always want to support the, the canadian entrepreneurs yeah <laughs> Yeah, 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 but I already had Teachable, and I don't want to learn a new platform. And plus, I love the way it functions, and I've used both platforms, and I like I like Teachables better now. So, but sure. I think it might be just because I'm used to it. <laughs> yeah, there's that too, right? And then and then you get into that question of because it's so tempting to switch services, right? Because there's always like the new shiny object thing. But then it's like, well, how much extra growth is your business going to experience from switching over? And is it if the answer is not that much yeah, or no. or none, right? Then it's like, okay, well, <laughs> is it a good time investment? Right? care generally unless the students don't generally care unless they already have a teachable thing that they're signing into frequently and then they don't that that doesn't work anymore that would really irritate them 100 well, percent, yeah so now you get customers that are unhappy and and you have to deal with the support issues and such for sure yeah, I know that um, um, I'm using one of the web hosts that's your web host as well because you had, uh, uh, I think you did, they must have been a sponsor of your show for one point. The um, I can't remember what it's called, CanSpace. Anyway, one of my yes, CanSpace. non-profit, yeah. uh, sorry? Uh, yes, it was CanSpace, that's right. Yeah, so I actually, one of my nonprofits uses that just because you happen to have that as a sponsor right when I was looking for somebody. Nice, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're uh, Canadian too, I believe. So that was a good. Uh, yeah, it's good to support the Canadian. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, so. yeah. We, and nowadays everybody's trying to stay out of the U.S. So, yeah. but if you use, I mean, I use Google, so there's no. <laughs> I'm already in the U.S. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, do you have uh, any other comments about how this new lifestyle of yours is? Because now that you're a creative entrepreneur, you've moved over to the artsy side of the world. <laughs> It's it's fun, but you know it's it's a new kind of challenge. So it wasn't like, I guess I thought it would be a lot easier once you hit the financial independence number and you kind of retire and you can just do whatever you want. But what's interesting is that you still have to decide what you want to do, and you get you have this ability to sort of create you this the lifestyle that you want. But it's not like there's a book written on it where it's like here's exactly what you should be doing, right? So in a way. 
it, it, it's, it comes with this, and I'm definitely not complaining because I'll, I'll pick this over having to work in a cubicle any day, but, <laughs> but it does come with its, with, with its set of challenges, I find, because, you know, it's, on one end, it is a little, it can be easier if you have this routine where you wake up every day and you go to work and you go to the office and your boss tells you what to do and you do those projects and then you go home and then you're done, right? It's, it, it, it get, you kind of have the structure and you know what you have to do and then, and I mean, you, you need the paycheck to pay the mortgage or whatever the case is. And so you don't have to necessarily ask some of those hard questions about like, you know, fulfillment and things of that nature. Um, I mean, you still should, right? But you don't really feel that, that pressure because you're like, look, I'm just trying to survive here. I'm just trying to pay my mortgage and feed the kids, right? But I find when you hit that number and you don't actually have to do the regular job thing anymore, it, I, will, I find it like right now I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out is okay, well, what kind of projects do you want to be working on? What don't you want to be working on? Because there's so many, you have this time now and there's all these opportunities and it can be difficult to prioritize them, right? And and so, and yeah, so it's, it's kind of trying to, it's that Venn diagram of trying to find the thing that, okay, it it's something I actually enjoy doing. It has some sort of societal benefit. I know that that's really important to me. It actually teaches you something. It challenges you, right? All these like does it check all these boxes so that you're actually happy at the end of the day? Um, and so that can be a little bit challenging to figure out. But fortunately, you know, you have time, right? If you're actually retired or financially dependent, you have the time to figure that out. So I just try not to put too much pressure on myself and just say, okay, just track what makes you happy, what doesn't, and focus on that. And just make sure it checks those boxes of, you know, fulfillment and education and you know, societal benefit. Like there's a certain criteria that I try to put every project against before I decide to do it or not. So so it's been interesting. It's been very, very interesting. Not as easy, basically not as easy as I thought it would be because it requires a lot of self-discovery <laughs> and prioritization. <laughs> I guess you still have to deal with imposter syndrome and some of that kind of thing too. Yeah, I, I guess I, I've, nev- I've never really had the the imposter syndrome for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but, um, but yeah, but there's definitely still... Yeah, there's definitely still challenges. It's, it's not like, oh, you hit this milestone and you never have any problems ever, right? It's just, you still have problems. They just, they're different kinds of problems, but they're better. I wanted just, just to give people an idea of the kinds of mindsets that you're dealing with. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the big one is just this, I guess, opportunity cost and you get faced with all these different opportunities and there's all these things you could be doing. And so how do you, select what to actually work on. Um, and then I find too, like once your business starts taking off, like the podcast has done, has done really well. And now you're just, one of my big struggles has been just getting bombarded with different opportunities and different people pitching things to me constantly all the time and people asking questions from the show. And it, it can be really overwhelming because there's just so much of it and there's only so much time that you have. And you you know, and, and and I could definitely spend all day just answering emails every day, and that would not really service anyone that well, because it's like, well, I could create a podcast episode or some or like an educational webinar with someone that can benefit thousands of people or tens of thousands of people, or I could answer these one-on-one emails to help people one-on-one, and it's like, well, which which one do you pick, right? So so I've I'm kind of I've kind of recently decided to say, okay, look, I can do these one-on-one sort of basically free consultations anymore um, because I, or else I'm going to just spend all day doing this. And meanwhile, 
podcast episodes aren't getting published, webinars aren't getting published, the you know the financial summit. I'm not interviewing as many guests because I'm doing these sort of you know one on one on one answering people questions all the time. So that I, I found that's kind of been one of the challenges is just, and I think I guess a lot of entrepreneurs recent listen to your podcast. So I guess that's something probably they've all experienced. Anybody who's had the business grow is and the audience grow is, well, how do you actually deal with these things, right? Because you don't want to miss on opportunities, but at the same time, there's so many and you can't possibly accept all of them. So it's just trying to figure out good screening criteria to decide what to do and what not to do and what to ignore and putting the systems in place so you can still scale. Um, so yeah, I've been really struggling with that piece because I, I like to be nice. I like to help people. And if someone asks me for help in the past, I've always answered the, you know, I've answered the emails, but now it's like, there's just too many of them. So, you know, they're, they're, no, you heard you heard of a uh, Yaro Sterak then? Yes. You know, he does a project for entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. He's like this sales copy guy. Yeah. Mailbox, mailbox done service where you can actually pay someone to run your mailbox for you. Oh, that's interesting. That's really, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't, I've heard of him, but I haven't tried that, that service. Um, I, th- I think it's him that actually does that. It may be, um, anyway, I know it's, a, it is a Canadian. I know he's a Canadian. Oh, I didn't know that. It may it, it may actually be one, uh, what's that guy, one company the, in Vancouver. Because I know, um, I, it was funny because I was looking into that. I thought, oh my gosh, having someone to look after your inbox is so cool. Anyway, it's called Inbox Done or something like that. Anyway, if you okay. do a search for inbox services, I know that um, all of the people that, uh, there were three different podcasts in a week that all talked. So he must have done some sort of launch or something. And so I heard about that Inbox Done for I don't know, and I was definitely craving that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's a wonderful service, but I decided not to go with it for now because I'm a little bit controlling and I'm not facing with I'm not facing enough of the same kinds of questions. But you probably are. Yes. One of the things that they do for the first several months, because he said that even if you don't want to do it forever, it's worth doing for a while because what they do is they set up the typical answers so that you actually have like a system to answer all the typical questions mm-hmm. that you get so that you can just, you know, they have these templates to answer all the typical questions and they take care of all that for you. And they only give the stuff that you actually can answer or that you choose to answer. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like having a, a secretary basically, but they specialize in in dealing with these yeah they specialize in, in and they actually train people to look after people's inboxes that's what the, very that's interesting the, that's the service they have that's very fascinating what a fascinating service yeah i i think i have some control issues over just letting someone do that uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but i can see that being really really valuable yeah i just yeah that, that would take some getting used to to get past that yeah well it might be listening to those podcasts sure. i got lots of ideas i actually created a bunch of templates just after listening to the podcast that actually has reduced my inbox problems that's great what i've um, just because oh sorry go ahead i, I learned to customize them you know yeah, for sure for sure yeah I've, I've been experimenting with these um templated answers i know one software that i used to use a lot was it's called phrase express and that one was pretty useful because you can basically type in your I don't work for them or anything like that. I just found it useful. You can type in sort of the response you want, and then you can actually create a shortcut on your keyboard. So for example, uh, like an acronym, for instance, right? And so you could put in like three numbers or three letters that, that you remember, and then that will automatically generate that response based on what you wrote. So it's a really... It's- oh, yeah. I, I think Thunderbird does that too. I've been I've been thinking I've got to explore how it actually does it because that's a really... That's sort of the next step. It's interesting. Mine, all I have is I've just got all of these 
what I call like my mailbox templates. <laughs> yeah. I just pull up one that's suitable for that person and then revise it accordingly. Mm-hmm. So it's not as mandated as it would be if someone were doing it for me because I still want it to be personalized. For sure. And what I found, what I've also been experimenting with just while we're on the subject was just using Google. So I use Gmail for my email and just using Google Drafts, uh, like in the email drafts. So I would put in something like T dash, so like template, which so stands for template, you know, dash. And then I would put in the keywords that I would realistically search for if I was looking for that template. And then I write the email, but I don't save it. So then, so in the subject line, I'll say something like T dash podcast inquiry, let's say, for example, right? And then I that saved, I minimize that. And then if I'm ever looking for, if I get a question and I'm looking for that templated answer, I just go into my drafts folder, I search for it, and it quickly finds it because it's Google, and Google is obviously pretty decent at search. So then I just copy and paste <laughs> what they wrote or what I wrote into that email, and then I'm done. So I've been experimenting with that because I've been using Phrase Express for shortcuts, um, but I found the formatting doesn't transfer over into Gmail perfectly. But I'm like, well, if, you're, if I'm using Gmail and I do have, and my, all my templates are within Gmail, then that's actually works really, you know, obviously if there's not going to be a formatting issue because I'm using the same system. So that's useful. They have canned responses too in Gmail, which I've been using for a while, but I find it, it's like, it's not searchable. So I find that's the issue, right? So that can't, have you done that one too? The canned responses feature? No, I haven't done that one. Okay. I, I, I get found because it wasn't searchable and it was just easier for me to, because I know what I'm looking for. So it was easier for me to file it myself on my own hard drive. Okay. Okay. And then you just search it you know, for it, like a, it's like a Word document. You just search for it in window. In... Yeah, well, it's not because I use LibreOffice, but yeah, it's a, it's just a LibreOffice document, and I just pull it up when I want that particular thing. Oh, okay, okay. And then anyway, because there's nobody who has the exact same answer as right. this person. Yeah, and that's, so. the, and that's the challenge, right? We have to customize each one. Yeah, it depends on your line of work, right? Like not everything's always automated. It's It depends how custom each answer has yeah. to be. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, the more automated you can make it, the, it definitely helps. For sure. <laughs> and I can with a show like yours, you're getting a lot of the same questions over and over again because so many people are confused about similar issues, you know? Like you're, I mean, I can almost say your rant about um, I'm making sure that you use uh, um, uh, exchange funds and, you know, follow this. And it, you're so funny. It's like, it's really um, entertaining. And especially when you have somebody who disagrees with you, you know, like there's a couple of people, you had somebody on who is a dividend investor and that was a really fun discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then you have, I guess, that guy named John who who actually takes calls from some of your, your uh, listeners too, which he's always entertaining too. Yeah, yeah. People like him a lot. Yeah, so I, I end up referring a lot of questions over to him because like I'll get questions like, Hey, here's my financial situation. What, what do you recommend? And they give me all these personal details about their investments and their life and all this stuff. And it's like, well, like you're asking, you're asking me for like a one-on-one financial plan, which is like hours and hours and hours of work if you want to do it properly. Right. And it's like, well, I, yeah. I, I can't just, like, it would be irresponsible for me to even give you an answer because I don't know all the variables and those can change the answer depending what those variables are. Right. And so, yeah. So, so John, he's the, he's the financial planner that I used before we pulled our uh, retirement trigger because I want to have like a unbiased second opinion on my numbers just to make sure I didn't mess anything up. Right. make sure I didn't overlook anything. And, and so now I just, yeah, I refer a lot of those questions over to him and, and he's, he's able to help those, those people properly, you know, as opposed to just, 
throwing out some like general rule that you know, which can be really dangerous, right? I mean, it can be good if you're getting started investing just to get your feet off the ground. But once you're, you know, making some progress, I find the financial service, just financial planning in general is such a field where there's so many variables. You need things custom made for you. You can't just follow blanket advice because everyone's a little bit different. Like whether you have kids or not, whether you have your own company or not, how much you spend versus how much you earn. I mean, there's so many things and they can totally change the answer uh, or the optimum answer, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, and there, and one of the other things I didn't know before listening to your podcast is I didn't know that there were these fee for service financial planners that you can actually pay someone who is just unbiased and they're not trying to sell you something. Yeah. But which was actually a big service too. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you learned about it from there. Cause yeah, that's kind of the big takeaway because a lot of people, I mean, the traditional way, right. Is you have some money to invest and you think, okay, I should probably start saving for retirement. And then, so you, what's the default? Well, the default is you go to your bank, right? And you say, hey, I want to invest some money. And then that's typically, that's where you get sold the high fee mutual funds, right? The actively managed mutual funds. Um, you know, like, like I said, that could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime in fees. And and so, yeah, it's it's important to to learn about the fee-for-service financial planners where you pay them the way you would pay a lawyer or an accountant, right? Where you pay them for their time and they're not trying to sell you anything, right? Whereas a lot of these financial advisors out there. I mean, they're just, they're like, oh yes, we'll crunch the numbers for you. We'll do everything for you for free. You know, and as soon as someone says free, it's like, that's a big red flag, right? Because no one's going to work for you for hours for free. So, so the question is, well, how are they getting paid? And well, they're getting paid through these fees and then it can be really difficult to get out. I mean, I've, I've helped people that, you know, had to spend thousands of dollars to get out of these mutual funds because because of the contract that they got entered into um, but it was still worth for them to to pay the thousands of dollars to get out because the fees that they would be saving over the long term are so substantial um, that after a year or two those fees would be basically negated um, you know because of all how much money they were saving by just switching over to index funds or like, uh, so ETFs wow isn't that amazing yeah um. <laughs> so before I get to the last question um, that you know about, <laughs> um, was there anything that um, you had prepared that I didn't get a chance to ask you? I know I asked you about your successes. I asked you about your recent uh, challenges. Was there uh, anything that you uh, wanted to mention that I didn't that I didn't get to talk about? Uh, well, you, you asked about uh, if the uh, one of the questions I remember you sent me was if I have any tips for other entrepreneurs, and so I, oh yes. There was, a good one. there was that one. Yeah. So uh, the way that I've, um, the way that it's worked out for me, and it's not, not the only path, but I, but I find there's sort of these two schools of thought when it comes to entrepreneurs and starting a business. And that's w- w- the one school of thought is find whatever sort of niche is profitable or hot at the moment and try to capitalize on that. So there's that pool of people. And then there's this other school of thought where it's like, well, you should do a business that it revolves around something that you actually enjoy that you're passionate about, right? Um, and so you can make money and be successful in both using both schools of thought, I think. But I, if I went, so I've always gone with the work on something you're actually passionate about approach. I've always done that, and I don't know how someone could go through all the ups and you know the downs of being an entrepreneur by just following sort of the hot trend and just focusing on the money piece because it's it's so much work and there's going to be failure and there's going to be things where you're trying really hard and it's just not working and if 
and if all the only reason you're doing it is just purely from a monetary perspective and you're not actually interested or passionate about the subject, I don't know how you could persevere. I mean, some people can. I, I couldn't. I would just go crazy. Um, so my whole thing, the way I've always structured uh, the businesses that I've started was I made well, first I made them not very capital intensive because that takes a lot of pressure off. Uh, so my things, my things were always in information products, things like things of that sort. Uh, and then the second thing was, well, what is a, the question I would ask myself is, if, what's something that I'm really into, really passionate about, really want to learn more about, and then make the whole sort of business around that, so that even if the business fails, the things that I've learned. I can still apply to my own life and it will make me better off. You know what I mean? So it's sort of like a contingency plan where it's like, even if I fail, it's not really a failure because I can still apply the lessons to my own life. So, I mean, that's what I did with the podcast. I didn't know it was going to be as successful as it is, but my whole thing was, well, you know what? Even if no one listens to it and people just hate hearing my voice or whatever, <laughs> and it never picks any steam, I was like, well, what's the worst case scenario for having invested on this for having invested all this time? And the worst case scenario was, okay, I would have gone to interview the top experts in Canada and, and even the world, you know, about these best practices when it comes to investing and the proper way to invest in the most efficient way and all that. And I'll be able to apply those lessons to my own investments, you know, to grow my own investment portfolio and retire early. So, so that to me, that was the worst case scenario was I get to learn all these things from these top experts um, for free because I'm not paying them to come on the show, uh, you know, and, and I get to apply it to my own life and retire early because of it. So, I mean, to me, that sounds like a really good worst case scenario, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And then the best case scenario is like, I get all that plus it actually succeeds and I get to bring on even you know better and better guests and actually maybe make some money, that kind of a thing, right? So that's the way that I've always structured it. And I found it, it sustained me through the low periods where like you're feeling overwhelmed and burnt out or tired or, or whatever. And it's like, well, you know what? I'm still benefiting from it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's kind of my advice. It's not, not for everyone, but uh, I find it's it's worked well for me and it takes a lot of the pressure off because you know you're still going to win even in the worst case scenario. You talked about um, your past and, and how you got where you were and it seems to me, if I remember correctly, you had said that you were initially started by investing in it. You actually had an, a second property that people were renting from you. Yes. And then you decided that that was like, the, the, the worst of all worlds you had to serve these people and they would damage your property and you, you <laughs> so so they were actually really good tenants I got recommended <laughs> yeah so I mean well so the thing so what was interesting is that um, like sometimes people become landlords right and then they have these horrible tenants and then things get broken and they're like they swore off real estate investing uh, and I'm like oh yeah, fair enough because things can get pretty bad in those cases but in my case the tenants were actually amazing but still, even despite them being amazing tenants, the property still had issues, right? Like the furnace broke down in the middle of winter and they had young children. So I had to basically take a vacation day off work to rush to the property, get in every heater I could get my hands on so that their family stays warm in the winter while I'm waiting for the furnace guy to show up. You know, things like that, right? I mean, this is a real thing that happened, right? So I compare something like that to index investing where I literally don't have to do much at all, right? You just you just buy and hold. Uh, and it's just, yeah, so once I've discovered that world, the you know passive index investing world, I just 
went all in on that and never looked back. And it's been it's been great. Um, you know, not so not to say you can't earn money off real estate because you definitely can if you do it right. But it was way more stressful. It was definitely not passive, like not even close. <laughs> um, and you can hire <laughs> and you can hire a property manager is kind of the common argument I hear. But then the thing is, then now how how positive cash flow will the property be if you have a property manager? And the answer is not very much, right? Because they do, they are expensive, right? So it's, 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 it's a tough, it's a tough game. It's, it's not easy. Um, you can definitely make money off it. Um, but it, it's, but anybody that says it's passive, uh, you know, to me, that's, 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 that's no, <laughs> that's just not, not correct. Unless you're willing to spend all your positive cash flow on a property manager, but then you still have to manage them and you're still going to have issues and stuff like that to deal with. So, um, anyways, I, I, I rant, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, I have a friend, Gary, who has a bunch of properties and I think he would find, um, doing spreadsheets of numbers much more, um, challenging than, <laughs> than looking after his properties. So I think your advice to go with what you love is actually a brilliant, that's a, that's a really um, good point. That's a really good point because yeah, you're right. I mean, if someone is like, I'm not a natural handyman guy, right? Like I, I love my spreadsheets. I'm a spreadsheet guy, right? So for me, <laughs> rebalancing in a spreadsheet, no problem, right? I, I can do that all day long. Geeking out and doing analysis, not a problem, right? Like it's fun for me, right? I just I totally nerd out about that stuff. Yeah. But like you ask me to go fix a furnace or a leaking pipe, like that's a chore, right? I, I don't want to do that. Um, and so, but, but some people are the opposite, right? Just like, like, like your friend. Um, so in those cases, yeah, that might be a better fit for them, right? If they enjoy doing that and they enjoy working on the property and maintaining it, um, that that's great. Or enjoy hiring people to, and, and managing that. Sure. I mean, that's, that's great. I, I guess, like you said, it's, it's about whatever is a fit with what you like to do. Yeah. 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 And that's, and then that's what, that's why I think that, uh, you know, talking to people who are all different kinds of entrepreneurs is really fascinating because uh, you find out that there is somebody for every specific job there is. And, and it's a matter of finding those people so you can work with them, I think. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, not to say and, that, and so it, not to say that to be an index investor, you it's, you have to be in spreadsheets all the time and all spreadsheets. Cause I'm, you definitely don't, <laughs> I just take it to the next <laughs> level. I'm a giant nerd, but <laughs> <laughs> have courses actually I, we should we didn't mention this but you have courses to show people exactly what you do and how you do it so people can actually even copy you i, I do yeah yeah so it's over at uh, buildwealthcanada.ca slash invest uh yeah and it's it's literally a course that i wrote that it shows everything kind of what we did what we continue to do step by step so what we buy you know how i did it it's it's basically i i'm literally in my Quest Trade account doing the transactions using my own real money to show how to actually do everything. So it's definitely not a, like a get rich quick thing. It's not one of those things where I'm like, oh, you can be financially dependent too by doing what you know, doing what I do. Like it's it's definitely not like some sleazy sales thing. It's basically if you want to be a passive index investor, which is what I am, and it's worked out you know really well for us. And if you do your own research, you know, separate from me, you'll find that that's really the optimum way for the overwhelming majority of people, um, then yeah, you can go in there and you can see, you know, literally exactly how, how I do everything, uh, and how I did it and, and using my own real money. So it's not some theoretical thing. It's, it's literally what we did to become financially independent. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a bill slash invest. If anybody wants to try it out. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, so thank you for that plug. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. And um, I actually, we should mention, we've been talking about financial independence, uh, retire early quite a bit, but we haven't actually mentioned that movement. And I know you've actually uh, had a few interviews with, with some people from that movement as well. And I highly recommend uh, those particular po podcast episodes as well. 
And uh, I'll try to uh, put in the show notes one or two of the episodes that I enjoyed the most and uh, so that people can uh, experience that too. Sure, thanks. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Yeah, the one with Bryson Christie, I think, was the most recent one I, I did. It was it was pretty uh, pretty fun. So we're, it was they, they retired like a bit before. They, uh, they hit their financial independence number uh, kind of close to what we did. So like I can't say we're the Canada's youngest retirees because they beat us by like, I don't know, a year or something. <laughs> So, so, but they're, they were Canada's youngest retirees. So I did an interview with them, and that was really, really cool. Uh, so that was that was awesome. And and Christy, she like coached me, uh, not coach, but she was my emotional support when I was quitting my my job and stuff like that. Because it's such a big thing, right, to, to do that and in your thirties and everything. So no, it was it was great. It was great. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you really do need mentors for almost anything you do in life. Is sure. <laughs> I think that's the the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I heard was that, I mean, when people retire, just not early retire, retire, but just retire in general, uh, I was, I read somewhere that can be one of the most stressful times for people because you're, you're used to having a paycheck, right? And all of a sudden it's gone and the benefits you used to have are gone and, you know, all these things, right? And so it, it can be pretty stressful to know, well, I've got this pot of money, but is it going to last me? How much can I spend? You know, it, it's, it, it can be pretty nerve wracking, right? And going to this new chapter. So yeah, I think for sure it's good to have someone there to, uh, I, I definitely leaned on, on <laughs> you know, on John and, and, and other, other people in the field just to kind of help me psychologically, uh, you know, as well, right? Just to get through it. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, you know, my last question is, uh, do you consel- consider yourself a Canadian? And if so, what does that mean to you? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I do consider myself to be Canadian. I'm actually Polish. I was born in, in Poland, but I was raised in Canada. So I was six when we came here. So definitely my, you know, overwhelming majority of my life has been in Canada. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what does it mean to, to be Canadian? I think it's just being part of the Canadian community. So, one, appreciating all the opportunities that we have here because we do have it really, really good here, even though it might not always seem like it. Like when we, came, the reason we left Poland was because it was communist at the time and it was just, you know, not a very good place to live. Uh, you know, so that, that, you know, my parents basically escaped Poland with me, you know, in the backseat of the car, you know, trying to find somewhere else to live and such. So, um, and we moved to Belgium and they went to, you know, came to Canada eventually. Um, so, I mean, definitely we have it really, really good here. So I think a big thing is just appreciating that and all the opportunities that we have here. Um, and then also, I, I think it means giving back in your own way, whatever that that may be. Um, so, I mean, in my case, I find it's focusing on enhancing financial literacy in Canada. That's, I find, a good way that I can give back in my own way. Um, but for other people, it's it's different, right? Like, I don't know, if, if I was better at biology, I would you know, probably want to be a doctor or something like that, right, to help others. And um, so there's lots of, uh, everyone's got kind of their own way that they can give back. But I think it's yeah, just appreciating what we have and then finding out what we're good at, what, what we're naturally gifted at, and then using those gifts to, uh, you know, to, to help the Canadian community as a whole, for sure. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, I really appreciate your time. I know that you're busy. And uh, this was just a great re- recording. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to Unapologetically Canadian. Please consider supporting our podcast for $2.99 a month. Join select listeners and get additional episodes every month. Music. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.